0: Welcome to the Ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at fccindianapolis.com. Well, when, you know, with with Christmas coming and this is Christmas Eve eve, so we're close. We always focus on the baby Jesus or on one thing or another. But I, 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 all week, I've just been thinking about Mary and Mary's situation. And as good Protestants, we tend to avoid Mary because of some of the extremes that we've seen in, in Catholic theology. And I'm not here to, to bash Roman Catholic theology. I disagree with, with in fact, I'm going to list some of it. But... We need to be careful when we when we see falsehood that we don 't back so far away from from the lie that we get in the ditch on the other side of the road and and there are some some real problems with and, and you hear this and i 'm just going to go through four of them and, and this isn 't uh, by any means an exhaustive list but but in in Roman Catholic theology um, Mary had an immaculate conception, as well as Jesus having a supernatural conception. And the concept was, Mary was born without original sin, even though Mary had a father and a mother. Um, there is also, in, in, in Catholic theology, people describe Mary as the mother of God. Well, we just read in Isaiah 9.6 that a son was born, but a, or a, a child was born, but a son was given and then uh, there is the, th- the, the uh, theology that Mary was physically taken to heaven the assumption of Mary the same way that Jesus was and the error is grown and this is not I don't know I don't think that this is official Catholic theology now but there are a great number of Catholics that have assigned Mary as a co-redeemer with Jesus now all of those have problems some of them are really serious problems uh, and I'm going to just really briefly take on each one of them and just kind of cor- put a little corrective. The Immaculate Conception, um, original sins comes from the presence of your father. You, we, that's the whole reason that um, when you look through the Old Testament and even the New Testament, the whole reason that the story of mankind is told as a patriarchy. Men were in the ascension is because that is God looked at Adam and Eve Eve was deceived Adam was not now they both were were sinful you saw that in the first reaction when God said who told you you were naked well Adam it's that woman you gave me you know it's the woman's fault and actually it's your fault cuz you gave her to me and then he challenged Eve and Eve said well it's that serpent and the serpent for you know for all the things that that, that Satan is basically just rooted in evil. He had no one to blame. <laughs> I don't know that God asked him why he did it, because he already knew it. But we, everything from that point on, because Adam sinned willingly, he was not deceived, the blame for us being a sinful creation goes to Adam and that original sin the reason we are born in sin the reason we need a savior is because of Adam's sin and we inherited it through our father's line and for everything that the feminist would love to to tell you that you know a woman doesn't need a man you still have to have a sperm cell to get a baby you got to have the egg. you got to have the sperm. You can't get a child without those two elements, physical elements. Well, if you have a father, a natural father, you are born in sin. And you are born with Adam's sin in you. And it will manifest at some point if you live long enough. That is part of the reason that the virgin birth is such a vital doctrine. It's not just some throwaway line. Jesus was not born with original sin because he had no earthly father. When, when you read through the New Testament, um, well, Luke 1.31 says, and this is Gabriel speaking to Mary, says, Behold, you will conceive, and your woman bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The Greek word there for conceive is a compound word, and it means to receive and bring together. Literally what happened was when Mary accepted Gabriel's words, God created a sperm cell within her womb, that joined with her egg. So that she had no, there was a man, and it took an egg and a sperm. Biology did not change. There was a supernatural creative event to create that sperm cell. But, but they, when it says that Mary, you will conceive, those two were brought together, and the body of Jesus was created right there as one cell. And I believe, personally, because I think once conception is made, there is a spirit attached to that. The second person of the Godhead left heaven and came in and occupied that cell. Now, don't ask me how the God of the universe can confine himself to a single cell. I have no idea. I don't even have the first concept. But, Every bit of theology I know tells me that that is the, is the case. So if, if Mary, and, and, and it's not required that Mary be born without sin so that Jesus could be born without sin. Any woman could have donated the egg and God could chose it. He chose Mary for a very particular reason which we're going to, going to get into. The, the, the uh, theology of mother of God, no. She was the mother of Jesus. She physically contributed to his body. His DNA existed, or her DNA existed in his body. But she was not the mother of God. God has no, no lineage. God has always been, always, well, he exists outside of time. So you can't, God invades time, and he comes into our universe and, 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 and somehow operates in time. But he has the ability, in fact, I believe, I've had people debate with me before, that if you get a deep enough telescope, you can find heaven. No, heaven is, is, is outside our universe. And, and it's where God originated it's where we would go, we go when we leave this planet. When our body dies and our spirit leaves, we go to be with him in a timeless place. Now the new heaven, the new earth, I don't know what that's going to be like. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that when we get there. When we get there, we won't really care. Uh, the assumption of Mary, whether she assumed bodily into heaven, there's no biblical evidence one way or the other. Mary is, is mentioned in, in the book of Acts. Being in the upper room uh, right after Jesus ascended to heaven, there's no more mention of her after that. So the biblical, the, the biblical evidence for Mary's assumption is zero. History, there are different accounts of what happened with Mary. We do know that, that Jesus, on the cross, gave John, the apostle John, care of his mother. And biblical history, Bible history, tells us that... Um, that she lived with the Apostle John for the rest of her life. Now, not the rest of his life, because he lived to be a very old man. They tried to kill him and couldn't, which, wow, what a testimony. And then the, the, the co, be, to be a co-redeemer, um, Acts 4.12 just blows that one. It says, there is, um, nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven among, given among men by which we must be saved. There's only, salvation lies in one spot, and that's in the man, Jesus. He is the God-man, but he gives us salvation. The Father doesn't, and I realize the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are, are, are all one, but it's the humanity and, and the divinity of Jesus mixed together that brings us salvation. The Father cannot do it. The Holy Spirit cannot do it without Jesus. So it's, it's, there are people that are important for our salvation, but none more important. Jesus takes the preeminence. There are people that may tell you about Jesus, will help you come to Jesus But you have to come to him, and you have to receive it from him. There's no other way. I've said it before, and I've had people misunderstand it. There are a billion ways to get to God. Because there are billions of different people. And we all have our individual path. But every one of them intersects at the man Jesus. You can't intersect to the Father through Muhammad. You can't intersect with the Father through Buddha or any other man it has to come through the man Jesus we all we all walk a very individual path to get there but you gotta go through him it's the only door that's it there is no other door he is it and it's because he joined humanity and and divinity but I want to examine just real briefly and I'm not gonna belabor this one today we as Protestants because of those errors, tend to back off on Mary and say, well, you know, Mary was just, just, just his mother. She wasn't that important. No, oh, she was very important. And, and one of the things that, that, that Protestants kind of chafe at, and, and, and it, you hear this a lot in, in Roman Catholic worship, is Hail Mary, full of grace. And it's like, no, Mary's not full of grace. Well, let's read Luke 128 as good Protestants. It says that, and having come in, the angel, this is the angel Gabriel, said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. When Gabriel says rejoice, highly favored one, the Greek word there is uh, charitu. That's a horrible pronunciation. It's only used one other place in the New Testament, and in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's used one time. In the, in the Greek Old Testament. In the Greek Old Testament, it is used in Psalm 18.26, and it's translated, depending on the translation, it's always translated either pure, clean, or chosen. And the only other place it's used in the New Testament is in Ephesians 1.6, where, where Paul says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted. That phrase, made us accepted, is the same word, highly favored. And the root of, of that charituo is the word charis, where we get the word for grace. And literally what, what he's saying is, what Gabriel is saying to, to um, Mary is, God has bestowed grace on you for this purpose that I'm about to tell you about. The fact that Mary could could accept the words that Gabriel said to her, when he said, look, God wants to come and bring the Messiah in, into the world through you, her ability to accept that and say, yes, that's, that's possible, and I want to believe it, I'm going to receive your word, only came because God poured his grace out on her to make her able to do that. It, it, it's the same thing I've, you know I, I've heard it argued for years, people look at the Bible, Christians look at the Bible, and they say, well, the Old Testament is is all about a God of wrath and a God of judgment, and the New Testament is all about the God of of love and the God of of grace. The Bible is unified. The God of grace is also the God of judgment. Grace is how this whole thing started. God poured his grace out on Adam and Eve. He poured his grace out on on, uh, Noah for the flood, he poured his grace out on Abraham. Everybody that's come to God the Father has come through God's grace, and he poured the grace out on them to give them the ability to exercise the faith to accept what he said to them and change their life. You go through uh, Hebrews chapter 11, every one of those, God said, I believe. That's God's grace. In God's words, the grace is, is a part of the word. It's like saying, well, I'm going to go home because it's, you know, it's been a hot day, and I, I know that you just have to envision that on a day like today. But you go in the summertime, you say, I'm, I've been working in the yard. I'm hot, I'm sweaty, I'm, I'm, um, I'm dirty, so I'm going to go take a shower, but I ain't getting wet. Well, you're going to have to take a shower with something besides water. Because you come in contact with water, wet's part of it. You come in contact with God's word, grace is a trait of God's word. You can't hear his, his word without grace being imparted to you, and that grace gives you the ability to exercise faith and say, yes, God, I accept what you said, that's going to be reality in my life. That's exactly when, when, when the Catholics say, Hail Mary, full of grace. She was grace-filled because of the words that God said to her through Gabriel. The grace was there. And she was full of grace. And she continued, grace, that's how, it's amazing. I, I just went through that one, that one verse and looked at how different translators translated That Greek word. And it's it's amazing. Graciously bestowed on is one. Lavished. Given to us freely. He has taken us into favor. He has graced us. He has graciously given. He has favored us. He gave that grace to us freely. He gave this loving favor to us. It's kind of like I mentioned earlier. It's like the word shalom. When God brings his peace, he's not just saying, calm down. Which, I mean, you know, sometimes it just nice to go sit somewhere and it's peaceful. It's one of the things, my understanding, Gina and I have been married for 37 years and we've lived in the suburbs for 37 years. And not too long ago, I told her, I said, look, we've tried this suburban life. I think it's time that we moved to the backside of nowhere and tried country life and I'll get you need to give it 37 years and then we'll decide which is going to be permanent. And and cuz I grew up on the backside of nowhere. And you know what my favorite well part of that is because I have this hermit gene in me. I just I could live out in the woods and never talk to too many people. It would not bother me. I love I love just being by myself. I'm perfectly friendly with myself. But the one thing that I really miss about living out in the middle of nowhere is when when you walk outside and you know there's no machinery running, nothing, it's just so peaceful. You in the summertime you hear birds chirping. You hear birds singing. You you you're not your your world is not where we live now. It's very peaceful. We can go out on our back deck. There's a little pond there. It's very peaceful. But it does not matter. I can go out there this afternoon. This evening. Well, maybe not with it being this cold. But anytime time when it's warm enough, the people are riding, riding motorcycles, and it, you would think you're out in the middle of nowhere. But you will constantly hear. <makes noise> These guys racing their motorcycle from red light to red light. You know, if, if the red lights are timed at 45 seconds apart, they'll get there in 10. I mean, they just, these are kids on their crotch rockets, and they are flying. And you can hear them whining all day and all night. And sometimes I go out and I just want to, th- I think, I just don't want to listen to motorcycles racing anymore. I want to go hear birds. I want to go out in my yard and just... Have it be peaceful. Well, God's peace isn't just your surroundings are quiet. God's peace, you can be in the middle of a whirlwind, and on the inside of you, you just know it's all going to be okay. You know, you're like, uh, uh, I don't remember, some station this weekend, we were flipping through channels and the Wizard of Oz was on. And we happened to catch it at the, at the middle when Dorothy turned to Toto and said, because the house, you know, she's in the middle of a tornado and the house is really calm. She's standing, you know, and she turns to Toto and said, we must be up in the inside of the tornado. And I was like, wow, good observation. But, you know, if you get very far out from the inside of the tornado, you're, you're in sometimes two, three hundred mile an hour winds. They will destroy everything in sight. But you can be surrounded by all of that. It's like being in the eye of a hurricane. If you have God's peace, your circumstances are nuts. Things are flying past your head, but you're just, it's okay. It's all right. I'm going to make it. That's God's peace, and that's part of the graciousness that he pours out on us. Luke, we, we just looked at, at, at Luke 128, down in verse 30. Gabriel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That is the word grace. Now, it's translated favor there, but that word, charis, is used 156 times in the New Testament. and 130 of them, it's translated grace. Why they used, you know, favor here, I'm not sure, but that's exactly what it it happened. Now, what was Mary's response? Put yourself in her position. This is the first century. This angelic creature, Gabriel, I, I can't imagine how spectacular Gabriel had to look to this little girl. Because she was probably 14, 15 years old. She was a very young girl. We, we look at it I used to every once in a while I would talk to my modern students and tell them you know back in biblical times you had 30 year old men marrying 15 year old girls and they all just they wanted to go find a a trash can to throw up in it's like oh gross that was the practice you had to the men had to get financially stable and able to support a wife before they could take a wife and Girls are ready, marrying age at 14, 15 years old, and they would would marry. So there was a huge difference between Joseph and Mary's age. But this is a young girl. Gabriel shows up to her, speaks this to her, and she accepts it. And she becomes pregnant. And then later on, and it's down in Luke um, 46, or chapter 1, verse 46, this is when Mary meets Elizabeth. And this is Mary's, it's considered to be Mary's song. And I want to look at, at how this is Mary's response to Gabriel's declaration, which is really God's declaration to Mary. You've been chosen for this task. In, in, in Luke 1, 46 it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. Literally, that means I am worshiping God because of what's happened to me. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. I love that. We have been, you know, Dean was talking about a theme. When I look back over the last few months of of what God's had me minister on, one recurring theme, there are several, but one that I see is this state of being a doulos, being a slave, a bond slave of Christ. God has called us to slavery, to him. If we, you know, I just quoted Rousseau. Man is born free and in chains. Well, we're not born free. We're born in chains. But there is true freedom. But the, 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 the um, paradox is true freedom only lie, lies in becoming God's slave. It's only when you say, God, you are my Lord. Jesus, you are my Lord. I'm not just looking for a ticket to heaven. I'm looking for a ruler right now. You tell me what to do. You do it, you say it, and I will follow it. When we take that stance, then you walk into true freedom. Because the freedom is freedom from your flesh and freedom from yourself. You know, Pogo, I've mentioned him before. He identified it during World War II. I've met the enemy, and he are we, or he are us. Forget exactly how he said it. But I am my problem. I know I really want to blame her most of the time. But she's not my problem. I want to blame my kids. I want to blame some of you. I want to blame my circumstances. I want to blame my parents. I want to blame anybody but me. But the truth is, I am my problem. My flesh is my problem. It's not even the devil 99% of the time. Oh, the devil's been after me. No, you've just been feeding your flesh, and now it's erupting on you. Starve a thing for a while. Feed your spirit and you'll, that stuff will kind of drop off. Well, I don't know. No, I'd rather just have it be the devil. Well, yeah, we all would. I'd like to not be the problem all the time. Problem is, I am the problem. But notice what she says here, verse 48. I love it. He has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. She, this is the Greek word doulae, which is the female form of doulos. She said, I am God's slave. Now, the the, the question I have, well, let's go on and read a little more here. She says, For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Now, here's, here's the first question I have. Why is she called blessed? Is she called blessed because she is carrying the Savior of the world in her? Or is she blessed because she made herself a slave of God? I think the reality is both, but I don't think... She could have carried Jesus had she not made herself a slave of God. Now the second question is, when did that happen? Was she, had she already made herself a slave of God and then God chose her? Or did she become a slave of God when God presented that to her, the proposition to her through Gabriel, and then she said yes and that made her a slave of God? And I've thought a lot about it and I have no idea. But I don't think it really matters. It doesn't matter when you make the decision. It's it's, kind of like salvation. It doesn't matter whether I did it early or late. What matters is where am I right now? Am am I walking that out today? The Bible is very clear. Today is the day of salvation. That doesn't mean get saved today. I've been saved since I was eight years old. But for me, today is the day of salvation because I have to make a decision today. Am I going to walk that out or am I going to walk my flesh out? moment by moment, I have to make that decision. Mary's faced with this same thing. And she's saying, generations, all generations are going to call me blessed because I was a slave of God. And because of that, I'm carrying the Savior of the world. Well, she will be blessed. But remember, this is the only mention of her being blessed. There's a, there's a woman that anointed Jesus' feet. where he It's mentioned several times in the Bible, much more than Mary is. And Jesus said, this Mary is going to be remembered forever because she anointed my feet. Is he placing her above his mother? If you you judge it by how, how many times it's mentioned, yes. Now, on an ultimate scale, we all stand before him equal, equally cursed and equally blessed. My point is... For Mary, she accepted it. Verse 50 says, His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. She's all of this time, from 40, 46 through 50, she's talking about her relationship with, with the Father. She, she's about to, and I'm not going to read the rest of them, but you can. Verse 51 through 55 is the rest of her story. That is all her talking about this Messiah that I have in my belly, He's going to be the Messiah, and he's going to bring deliverance to Israel. Now, you can go later on, and this is not my topic, but you can read it and, and find it. Um, she, she always, talk, well, all down through here, she, she's talking about he, his mighty throne and his mighty arm, and he's here for deliverance. All of the disciples never looked. They, they heard Jesus put himself out equal to God, and one with God. Jesus was never shy about the proclaiming that. But that did not make any sense to them. Because in a, for a good Jew, you know going into this, God and man are separate and you cannot join the two. To this day, you talk to a committed Jew and they will tell you, I do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Because you, and I don't believe in Jesus as God incarnate. Because God will not, cannot join himself to mankind. And for Jews today, when they think of the Messiah that is to come, they're thinking of a political leader. They're not looking for God to come be present on the earth. They're looking for God to empower a man and come in and deliver Israel and wipe out Israel's enemies. That's the Messiah they're looking for. These men and women were no different. Mary was no different. And, and part of my proof, and this is what encourages me, when, when I, I, I look at Mary, it's very clear from that one verse, she says, I'm a slave of God. But that does not mean that she lived a perfect life. You go read Mark chapter 3, and I'm not going to go over there, but you read Mark chapter 3, it, it says that his friends came to him because they, he was beside himself. Literally, that means they thought, he's crazy. He's crazy. He is making himself out to be God, and we know God cannot be part God and man cannot be the same. We need to pull him aside. He's not. He's a schizophrenic. Well, they didn't know that term, but that's what they were looking at him as. And it's not very much past that. It's the same situation. Right after that, um, uh, Mary and his brothers show up. And the house is so crowded, they can't get in. And somebody says, your mom and your brothers are outside and they want to talk to you. And he said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Who's my family? Those that that serve God are my family. He really disowns his family, his mother and his brothers. He said, I'm not going out to talk to them. I got a job to do. And if you're serving God, and coincidentally, serving God is serving me. Then you're my family. The real implication there is that Mary is thinking, I know what God said to me, but this cannot be right. So she didn't live the perfect life. She didn't have a, you know, the song. Mary, did you know? I can answer that question. No, she did not. She did not know that he was going to do all of these miracles. Now, she knew he was destined for great things. The marriage at Cana says that. When she said, just do what he says, she knew he was capable of doing miracles, even though he had never done a miracle. She had confidence in that. But when he started making himself out to be God, that was a hard thing to stomach. In fact, if you look at, 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 at the life of Jesus... He picked the 12, and then he had the 70, and then he had the, the 500, and then he had the multitudes. And when he got to the multitude stage, he stood up one day and he said, You want to be my follower? you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they left him by the multitudes. He was back down to, the, to the, 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 either the 12 or the 70 real fast. Because they said, My God, he's, he's telling us we got to be cannibals. God says, don't eat meat with blood in it, and you just told me i got to eat your flesh with your blood in it. Well, uh, this guy's nuts. Mary's not far from that opinion. Now, I'm sure she had faith in him. This is her son. But I know she did not understand what was going on. Part of it, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, very familiar, um, starting in verse 7. Says so This is Paul talking. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. For as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him." When Jesus was here in the incarnation, before the cross, before the resurrection, his true nature, even though he declared it to the world, was really a mystery. Nobody understood it. They looked at him and said, I hear your words, but man, it just doesn't make sense. How can this be? Mary was no different. One thing she did, though, she saw it through to the end. John chapter 19, we'll start in verse 25, said, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. There were the three Marys. And then when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, that's the apostle John, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son, indicating John. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. From that hour that disciple took her to his own home. There were were only four. He had multitudes following him. The week before, he comes into Jerusalem, they're throwing palm fronds on the ground. Hosanna to the highest. Our Messiah has come. Why? Because they're thinking he's going to run these stinking Romans out of here. And suddenly, he doesn't meet their expectations. And that cheering crowd became crucifying that fast. And it's the same today. You can be cheered one day, and they're ready to crucify you the next. Just get used to it. That's human nature. But when they were crucifying, the multitudes were gone. But Mary, Mary's sister, Mary Magdalene, and John were there. He had four followers left. All the rest of the disciples are hiding. They're quaking in the upper room with the doors locked. But these four are right there. We're with you to the bitter end. So for all I, when I say Mary didn't leave a perfect life, I'm not denigrating Mary. Mary was just a woman. Just as bound in sin as we are. She needed a deliverer and a savior just like we did. And then after he was resurrected... You go to Acts chapter 1 verse 14, this is uh, talking about in the upper room after they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Those same brothers and mothers that came to the house and said, you know, his friends had said he's beside himself and they're there pretty much in agreement. They're now in the upper room. And they believe in the resurrected Christ. In fact, we've just studied out in, in Jude. Jude said, I'm a bond, bond slave to my brother. Now, he never claimed Jesus as a brother. But he was a brother to James. And James was the brother of Jesus. So it was Jude. They came to faith. So did Mary. All the way through this. She was adamant. She, she stuck with him. She didn't understand it she stuck with them what's that got to do with me well here's what it is God is still speaking he may not use Gabriel to come talk to you but God is still speaking question is what's he saying to you are you listening are you willing to obey Mary said I'm a doulos a doula of God am I Am I willing to back my ear up to that post? Say, God, I don't, I don't, I really, I know what you're saying. I don't understand. I don't understand this situation. I don't understand why you're having me do this, what this is all about. It's a mystery to me. But I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to do this. You've asked me to do something I cannot do. (laughs) Well, God usually asks you things that are impossible. That way, he gets the glory. It's not something you, you know, if your vision is attainable by your means, it's probably not big enough. And are, 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 am I ready? He came the first time, and this is my big question. He came the first time, and nobody recognized him other than a few shepherds, and they only recognized him because these angels are singing. And I don't know that they really understood who this baby was in the manger. I don't know that Mary and Joseph totally understood what was going on. They understood what Gabriel said, but I don't think they... Well, I know from what we read, Paul read or or wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, it was a mystery to them. But they had enough to know, I'm following. I'm doing what God says to do. And when God told Joseph, you get to, to Egypt, he got to Egypt. When God said, time to come home. He came home, he went to Nazareth. You don't have to have perfect understanding, but you do have to have obedience. And it all comes down to this. And this is Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to read this very quickly, and, and then we're going to close. Starting in verse 32. This is Luke speaking, he says, Do not fear, little flock. For it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is there your heart will be also. Now, let me me just, Luke is using and God is using money here as an illustration. And it, money is not the, the, end, the, the beginning and the end of our devotion to God. But what he's saying here is where your treasure is. What you treasure, your, fo- your heart will follow. And it doesn't matter whether that's money, prestige, whatever. When you treasure something, you go after it. And if you treasure God's kingdom, it's going to affect your money. But he needs to affect a heck of a lot more than just your money. Because you need whatever you're treasuring, you're going to follow that. But then, in verse 35, he says, "...lest your waist be girded and your lamps burning." This is talking about being a servant. When you talk about girding your waist, you're getting ready to work. "...and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master, when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately." Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. This is what I've got in the faith bits in the bulletin this morning. The story here is God's in a wedding feast and he comes back for, to his house and, and when he finds the servants waiting for him, he tells the servants, sit down. And he puts on the servant garment and he waits on the servants. There's a tradition in a lot of places of the world where people who have servants, the rich, they, after their Christmas celebration where the servants all wait on them the day after Christmas, the servants sent down and the family, the rich family, waits on the servants. That's where where it comes from. Verse 38, he said, and if he should come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, that's second shift or third shift, and find them so blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would, not have, wa- or he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. In the same way that, that, that for Mary and all of, of the Jews in the first century... They were all expecting the Messiah because they knew of Daniel's prophecy and they knew Daniel's 70 weeks were in that general time frame. And the Messiah should be coming any day now. And they were looking for a Messiah. And there were a lot of false messiahs that showed up. Jesus, the true one, didn't get recognized because he didn't come the way they thought he should come. But for those that have faith, he's there. We need to be ready. We need to look for the signs about us. Because we don't know what time he's coming. I don't want Jesus to come back. And I personally, I believe if you're, if you're born again, you're going in the rapture period. But I also know enough about end times to know that I don't know a lot about end times. I had a, a friend in the ministry years ago. He had an earned PhD in theology, and that is not easy to get. And he had this chart. He had worked on it for years. He had his end time theology perfect. He had it all written out. And a 12-year-old boy walked in his office one day and asked him one question and just ruined it. Ruined it. It broke every, everything in the chart. just fell apart. It was a house of cards. And he said, at that point, I just gave up. It's like I had devoted years to figuring all this out and I had it all out. And one boy came in and said, well, but what about this? And he said, oh, my Lord, none of it works. If that's true, and it is true. But I do know the general signs. I know the times are coming together. I know that, 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 that the world is getting darker and the, and the church is getting lighter, those that are truly following after Christ. There, it, it is so easy to get, to get the presence of God in a place if your heart is open to God. He, just, he is running to bless His people. But we have to be right. Is my heart right? Am I willing to say, God, I want to see revival That's everybody's request. Well, let it start with me. Let it start with you. Revival comes when we get revived. Because it's catching. It is like a cold. You get a cold, it's going to spread. Those viruses move pretty quick. Well, I want the revival virus. I want to get so excited about being a Christian, about having God in my life, that people get around me and it's like, wow! There's something different about you. Well, yeah. Jesus is in my life. He's working in my life. He's doing stuff. Let me tell you what he did just this month. This year. Go back two years, five years, however long you have to do. But have a testimony. God is active in my life and I am surrendered to him. I don't care what he asks me to do. I'm going to do it. Because there there is no price. I love it. Aretha Aretha Franklin... Aretha Hagen wrote a book towards the end of life. Now, as far as I know, it's the only book she ever wrote. But, but it, was, it was a testimony to their life in the ministry. And the title of it is, There is No Price Too Big to Pay. The price is not greater yes, than God's grace. yes, the price is not greater than God's grace. And, and the punchline when you get in the book is, God never asks you to give something up that he doesn't bring back. Multiplied. Jesus said it, and I don't remember, have the reference off the top of my head, but he said, no man has given up houses, family, monies that I won't repay, um, I don't remember now if it was tenfold or a hundredfold, in this life. And eternal life in the life to come. He's saying, if I ask you to give something up, give it up, because it's planting a seed, and I am going to bring it back multiplied to you before you die. It's coming back. And then when you, you've, you in, in planting it, you planted it in heaven as well as in the earth. And you're going to get an eternity's worth of multiplication in heaven. Jesus, Gabriel, Jesus is speaking to us today. Mary had to re- be receptive to Gabriel's words to have that baby created within her. We have to be receptive to let God form himself in us and conform our lives to what He's asking us. The price is never too great. If our heart is right, it's not hard. The grace is there to put you through and to bring you up. And to to, to whatever He asks you to give up, He's bringing it back, multiplied. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person At the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCindianapolis.com.